Brent here from American English with this guy. I'm in the parking lot of my school about to head home. But this morning, I made a, a lesson for my students about some history topics with some rather difficult English words. And I thought I should put it up on this channel because um, if you like history, and I know some of you do, and you want to learn a little more English, which I know all of you do, that's why you follow this channel, it might be helpful. So this is like part one. There'll be a part two eventually. And the history topics we are talking about are the Great Migration and the Harlem Renaissance. So hope you enjoy. Let me know in the comments if you want to see even more videos like this, the same ones that I make for my own native English students. Thanks for watching. Hello there. Hope everyone's doing all right. I'm back today. It's uh, it's Wednesday. So the first time we watch this, we might watch this a couple times because it's such an involved article. But <clears throat> for the last couple days, hopefully you've been working on the difficult vocabulary for this article. It is written at a 12th grade level. There were two options for me to choose this article. It was either a sixth grade, which I thought was way too easy, or 12th grade, which I thought was pretty difficult. But if you have an idea of what I thought was the difficult vocabulary, and I think about half of the people have turned in that Google sheet where you wrote down the definitions for the difficult vocabulary, still a lot that have to be turned in. But we are going to start reading the article today. It is about the Harlem Renaissance. And before we get to the Harlem Renaissance, though, we're going to talk a little bit about the Great Migration. So hopefully you watched that uh, video. It's a pretty short video. Maybe we'll watch it again today um, about slavery ending. You know, it's... It's a very difficult, long process to go from slavery to actual freedom, the, the ability to work at a job, to get educated at that job, to make money, to support your family. So it, it's, it has taken, I think, many generations to go from slavery to a world where there aren't laws holding you down, even though you have gotten your freedom, which every human should have, of course, right? So we're going to talk about a period that is about 70, 80 years later, where there have been a couple generations moving from slavery, where there was no freedom, no extra money, to a couple generations where maybe people have been able to save what little they make, probably from sharecropping, over a couple generations, and the ability to move out of the South where Jim Crow laws were keeping people down, to move to the North where you could still face prejudice, racism, but you might be able to find a little pocket, a little neighborhood, maybe Harlem, and have a little bit of freedom. So that's what this is about. And all of the arts that spring up because of that freedom. 
but we got to start with the, the Great Migration first. And this article does touch on it a little bit. So let's just take a look at this first paragraph. There are a couple words that I thought might be difficult, and I wanted to talk about them with you. And hopefully you have an idea of them already. But let's take a look. I will start reading and then <clears throat> stop when I think uh, something is important. Well, I think almost everything. You can see the text level uh, is 12th grade. It was time for a cultural celebration. African-Americans had endured centuries of slavery and when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply the struggle for abolition. Now I know this is one that you probably have heard in, in, in history class, in Mr. Bim's class. So abolition, an abolitionist is somebody who wanted to end slavery. Have you talked about suffrage, by the way? Suffrage. If you haven't, you will yet. This is not in this article, but anytime you hear suffrage, think about women's right to vote. I think that happens in like 1919. So uh, you're getting close, at least in the whole country. A couple states. I think Wyoming was the first to allow women to vote. But anytime you hear abolition, think um, ending slavery. An abolitionist wanted to abolish. That's usually a verb you'll hear with that. Abolish to get rid of slavery. All right, next one. The end of bondage had not brought the promised land many had envisioned. Instead, white supremacy was quickly, legally, and violently restored to the New South. When you hear New South, think of the South after the Civil War, where 90% of African Americans lived. Starting in about 1890, so about 25 years after the Civil War ended, after slavery ended in this country, like officially, but again, I've said it. Don't think of it as like the magic solution. Ah, oh, slavery ends. Everybody's all good. No, of course not. African-Americans migrated to the north in great numbers. This great migration eventually relocated hundreds of thousands of African-Americans from the rural south to the urban north. Many discovered they had shared common experiences in their past histories and their uncertain present circumstances. Instead of wallowing, and self-pity, the recently dispossessed ignited an explosion of cultural pride. Indeed, African-American culture was reborn in the Harlem Renaissance. So dispossessed, um, man, there were some, um, there were some tornadoes, right? Um, recently in Kentucky, that's making a lot of news. So a lot of people will be dispossessed after that. Like, um, don't have a house. Like, you're, you're up and moving. Um, that's what dispossessed means. Hopefully you found that um, definition there. Uh, easy enough because of Google, right? 
So we can see what uh, dispossessed means. I'll pull that up right here. I think I can do that pretty easily. Let's see, we'll do it on the fly here. I might have to stop the screen share and then bring it back up. But yeah, uh, a quick Google search will show us that uh, dispossessed. It comes from that um, word possessions, the things that you own. But if you look at dispossessed, it's someone is deprived of either land, or property, other possessions. They don't have them. So, yeah. And you can look at more. Is, is dispossessed a real word? That huh. is a real word. Huh. So uh, Google, you know, just ask Uncle Google, Aunt Google. They probably have it for you. That's what a lot of... Um, I don't think Americans say that, but when I am teaching English on YouTube, I've heard that expression. Oh, just ask Uncle Google. Just ask Aunt Google. So we did. Dispossessed is a real word. All right. It's always difficult to share one screen to the other. StreamYard should fix this, but we'll get up the article now. Got it right here. How's it looking? Looking pretty good. All right, so now we're going to get into the uh, Great Migration. Just have to scroll down here. Oh, my gosh. Look at that word in purple or, or blue. We've talked in some classes. I am colorblind, but I think that's probably more purple. Uh, maybe a cauliflower. If you remember your Crayola crayons, the 64, that might be a, a cauliflower, even though cauliflower is, like, mostly white. The Great Migration. The Great Migration began because of a push and a pull. Disenfranchisement. Big word. Hopefully you know what that big word means. Disenfranchisement. It means you don't have the right to vote. You're, if you're not actually a real citizen, if you're disenfranchised. And Jim Crow laws, hopefully by now you know what Jim Crow laws are, led many African-Americans to hope for a new life up north, hate groups and hate crimes cast alarm among African-American families of the deep south. So if you um, be careful when you Google search this stuff, because I don't want you to be on like an FBI watch list. But if you're Google searching something like the KKK or the Ku Klux Klan, you'll notice that in the early 1900s, they were probably most active. So it wasn't like before the Civil War or during the Civil War. It was really the turn of the century, the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And we've talked about um, organized mobs going after African-Americans and, and lynch mobs and stuff like that. Horrible time to be alive and black in the South. Um, so that's why a lot of people, if they could scrape enough money together, they might go up north. Um, there were factories up north where people could work. And Detroit, Chicago, New York were desirable places. I just want to uh, stress that just because if you were black and you left the south and you went to the north, don't think that the um, the segregation would probably end, sort of, at least legalized segregation but you still might live in an all-black neighborhood <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> excuse me 
um, you still might live in an all black neighborhood just because those were the only places that would rent to you. There was still a lot of prejudice, <clears throat> a lot of racism when people got up north. Sorry about the voice failure there. All right, let's make this a bigger and keep reading. This will probably be the last paragraph. <clears throat> if I can find my place. The promise, we're right here. The promise of owning land had not materialized. So it didn't work out. It didn't come to fruition, to use an even bigger word. It didn't happen. Most Blacks toiled, worked hard as sharecroppers. We've talked about what sharecroppers are. Basically, uh, slavery. Uh, you would, <clears throat> just, just so we get another definition here of sharecroppers. So when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Abraham Lincoln. It officially made slavery illegal in all of the United States. But if you remember at the time, the South wasn't even, they had declared they weren't part of the United States. They were the CSA, the Confederate States of America. So that was written and they were like, yeah, that's not our president, so who cares? So once the Civil War ends, it's not like every slaveholder said, oh, okay, great, yeah. And that took time. And then what happened, a lot of former slaves became sharecroppers. What are sharecroppers? Those are people who worked the land, much like a slave. They would not own the land. The former slave owner would own the land. They would work the land. <clears throat> they would give a huge percentage of what they grew back to the landowner who would then in turn make money. Therefore, the sharecroppers would have a tiny little piece of whatever they grew. Maybe they had a little extra that they could sell themselves. Not much though. And over time, they might save up enough money to buy a ticket north. So that that's, that's what sharecropping was. Uh, basically, slavery with a little bit maybe more free cash and over many years one might be able to uh, get enough money to go north maybe right a lot did hundreds of thousands of um, african americans did move north all right let's uh continue oh we got to talk about the bull weevil oh yeah that's a fun topic all right um most Blacks toiled as sharecroppers trapped in an endless cycle of debt where they had to rent farmland from landowners and then give a share of their crops to the landowner on top of the rent they paid. In the, 19, in the 1890s, a boll weevil blight. Okay, you don't really need to know what that is, but let's keep reading because the article will tell us what it is. Again, when you get to a, um, a passage on a test, and you come to a very difficult set of words or term, don't stop there. Don't get confused. Keep reading because it might actually help you figure out what it is. Bull weevil blight damaged the cotton crop throughout the region, increasing their despair. So who knows what a bull, a bull weevil is actually a little bug, but you won't get that from this article. But you, whatever it was, it damaged the crops. So you can imagine if crops were damaged, whoever is growing those crops is not going to have as much money as they would 
if there was no bull weevil blight. Not easy to say. All these factors serve to push African-Americans to seek better lives. The booming northern economy forged the pull. So lots of factories up there that needed cheap labor. Industrial jobs were numerous, and factory owners looked near and far for sources of cheap labor. So that's not to say there, there wasn't still racism up north. That just meant that people were desperate for workers. So it was likely you could get hired, probably still work way too many hours for far too little money, but at least it was a way out. So that's part of the sharecroppers to the great migration. Tomorrow we'll continue this article and talk about how once, if you could get into a decent neighborhood with some decent pay. Okay, so think about this. If you are working, 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 just trying to get money, you have no time to express yourself through art, music, poetry. But maybe after another generation, if your parents were sharecroppers and they moved to the north to find a better life and they were able to get a little bit of extra money, the children of those people might have a little bit of free time, and then that's where we'll get the, the Harlem Renaissance. Okay, all these things are connected. Thanks for watching. Guess you had to. Hope you learned a little something.